Welcome to the THRP podcast with me, Yusuf Zawabi. We talk about the things that you thought you never needed to know and ideas in society. Damn, I should be rapping, you know. Jeez. Oh, boss. Oh, um, make sure you check out our website, follow the Instagram, and also subscribe to whatever platform you listen to your podcast. So, getting on with uh, this episode, we've invited Joe Elderman. He is a photographer with over 45 professional experience. We talk about the history of cameras and photography and the future. We talk about his experiences and what he does right now and what he did before. So it was a, it's a very long one, but it's a very interesting one. It covers a range of topics. And if you're fascinated with photography, make sure... You listen to the full episode and check out check him out, and there'll be a link to what he does below. Hope you enjoy. Thank you for coming on, and I appreciate you giving the time to come onto the podcast. Welcome. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So you are, you have had a 40 years, over 40 years in photography and we, as men, we've talked about it a bit and you had an interesting career so far. Uh, I think it's been fairly interesting. I started when I was very young. I was 11 years old when I got my first camera. I had my first picture published in a newspaper when I was 14 years old. And I've done a little bit of everything with a camera. I started out doing newspaper photography. I've done portraits and weddings. I've done commercial advertising work, uh, photographing products, photographing food. I have worked in fashion for magazines. And now I kind of do a combination of things. I do what is referred to as fashion or beauty portraiture, which are really just kind of fantasy pictures, fantasy portraits. And I'm also a photo educator, so I teach. I've I've been at it long enough at this point that I've had a lot of experiences. So I travel around the United States when we're not in a pandemic. I travel around the United States and I do workshops and demonstrations and things like that. So it's it's been fun. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I see. I see how it would be very enjoyable and interesting. So... Mm -hmm. Um, when you started picking up the camera, what was the main difference with the cameras now? Oh, gosh. Well, the cameras now are actually not really cameras. We call them cameras, but they're computers. Yeah. And and I love that. I mean, I, I think the new technology is great. But of course, when I started, we used film. Film was, you know, it's a chemical based concept so you know it was light sensitive chemicals attached to a sheet of acetate that you exposed to light so you had to develop it Uh, some films that you would shoot back then you couldn't develop yourself you had to send them back to the company to get developed so we joke about it now so basically that meant we would take pictures put them in the mail and we would wait seven days to find out how bad we were at taking pictures because it would take seven days to get the results back. Uh, If you were, 
if you were shooting black and white film or even some color films, you could develop them yourself in your own dark rooms. So you yeah, could okay. at least find out fairly quickly. But cameras today are, um, the possibilities are so much greater today because with yeah. film, you took the picture, whatever you photographed and however you photographed it, that pretty much was it. There wasn't a lot you yeah. could do to, to kind of change it or enhance it. Yeah, With yeah. digital technology, a lot of the pictures that I do, when I press the button and the camera goes click, I'm only 50 or 60% of the way to finishing the picture because oh, okay. I have got an image in my mind when I get to Photoshop I may be combining that picture with another picture or adding oh. some textures or other elements, or even for that matter, changing the background, just like they do in movies with like a green yeah. screen, yeah. same kind of thing. So with digital cameras, we're really only limited by our imagination. If we can imagine it, it's possible to create it. With film, that was a lot harder to do. Yeah, I see. So, out of curiosity, um, mm -hmm. so when it comes to um, film, mm -hmm. was there like any possibility of videos, or would that be like very expensive? And would it have to be like, you know, these like um, sticky notes where it would be like flicked and then you'd have some sort of like slow motion thing? Would it be that yep. wouldn't work similar to that or? Well, yeah. So when I started, unfortunately, I'm old enough, started before there was video. So the, the only option oh, okay. for motion was actually doing movies. And when I was a kid, my parents had an eight millimeter movie camera. And that's that's actually kind of what got me interested in photography. Oh, okay. And um, video cameras, in terms of video cameras that you could buy and have at home, they came around kind of in the, the mid-1980s. And they were really expensive, but oh, that's okay. when you were first able to go to a store and buy a video camera. And they were huge. Like, they, the original video cameras, they looked a lot like the cameras you see the TV news people using where they put them oh. on their shoulder. They were oh, big. Okay. But, yes, um, doing simple animation by what you described with the sticky notes is, is yeah. what they call in the movie industry, it's called a flip book. Oh, and okay. uh, a lot of cartoons are made that way. If you ever watch like YouTube videos yeah. uh, with cartoonists, you'll see them with these big pads of paper where they're drawing the scenes and they'll flip back and forth so that they can see how the scene is progressing as they're yeah. drawing it. Uh, that was one way to do it. Uh, another way, depending on the camera that you had, whether it was a film camera or an early video camera, some of them were capable of exposing basically one frame at a time so another type of animation that was really popular was what they call claymation and okay. people would use like artist clay or artist putty and create little characters and figures and you would make a scene and you would shoot a frame and then very very carefully if let's say one of your characters was oh, yeah. walking you would adjust the arm slightly and you would adjust the leg slightly and it was it was a very tedious process it, it yeah. took a long time to do it but the results were were really pretty cool and 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 fun so um yeah i mean those were definitely techniques that were around then and it's kind of neat now 
because a lot of a lot of creative ideas they kind of get recycled over time right and and what i find interesting now that i've been around so long is a lot of the times when you see the ideas come back yeah they come back with a little twist and that oh, okay. twist makes it actually kind of exciting it really does make it new again yeah. so lately i have been seeing a lot of people experimenting with uh, stop motion animation and with like flip book type designs, especially with TikTok and okay. Instagram reason that those kinds of things are awesome for that format where, you know, you're basically making a one minute video clip. So there's actually, there's a lot of really cool things that people are doing with those techniques. And indeed they started way back um, the flip book things. I think Walt Disney was one of the first people to do the flip books. Oh, okay. So that that was back in the 1940s and 50s. The stop motion animation became really big in the 70s and 80s. But uh, now it's kind of like people are are reinventing it all over yeah. again. And you see lots of it on on websites like TikTok where they're doing really creative stuff. Yeah. Um I remember um before when I was a kid, um mm -hmm. I, I'm saying like creative and we they will be like we bring in like lego pieces and then we'll make slow yep. like slow movies about a specific topic um yep. using an ipad and we'll just capture it and then it'll there will be like some sort of app where will take the photos like rapidly and we'll be able to take it it was it was fun it was, but it yeah. was very long and it was rare yeah. for us to actually finish so yeah, yeah, it is it is a tedious process, but even you mentioned like the iPad and having the apps. That's yeah. one of the great things about all the technology that we have today. All of these things, like you know, the stop motion and the video and all that, it used to be very expensive. So you had to have fancy cameras, you you know, needed all kind of equipment to do it, the editing capabilities. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have a smartphone you have the ability to make cinematic movies and do, you know, all kinds of incredible things. So it's definitely very cool. Oh, one sec. Sorry about that. No, that's all right. Sorry about that. No problem. Um, and I've also brought something back when I quickly went to check on something. Okay. Um, so I don't know if you can see. Ah, yes, I can. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how you open it. So this was something which um, I, I, I'm fairly sure it doesn't work anymore. It's a film camera, and yep. at one point it will be opened over here, mm -hmm. I think. And yep, can you tell me a bit, a bit about having a film camera and maintaining it to make sure it works? Well, so the the nice part about film cameras is that they are fairly simple in terms oh, of okay. the kind of machinery that they are. They have a shutter. That's the most important part. Uh, that shutter basically 
is essentially like a little window that opens and closes very, very rapidly. And what that does is that allows the light to, to reach the film. The other kind of moving part of a camera is the film advance. And in most film cameras, it was one of those, if something was going to break, it was going to be one of those two things. It was either going to be the shutter, which eventually would wear out and, or it would be the film advance, which is kind of like a, a ratchet handle where you literally would grab it with your thumb. Yep. And you would just roll it around the outside. Um, The other moving part for film cameras is actually built into the lens and that's the diaphragm of the lens. So um, when you actually press the button and take the picture, that's the part inside the lens that kind of gets a little bit smaller and it controls how much light is allowed to reach it. Is so it, the, the big thing, yep, right inside there. Is it like there. the laughing? Like uh, that's probably, it looks like that's the mechanism. Yeah, so there's a piece of the cover that looks like it's missing there. So that's the yeah, mechanism. Yeah, so that yep. So, and, but those are, those are really the three key parts. And then depending on the camera and how old it was, it would have had a light meter inside. The light meters were fairly advanced, so there's no moving parts or, or anything like that. It, it's essentially like a sensor that helps you determine what your settings for the shutter and what your settings for the diaphragm should be. But the big thing with a film camera in terms of keeping it working is uh, making sure that it's clean. Yeah. Because when you, of course, when you open it to put film in and take film out, you're exposing the inside of the camera to dust and dirt, yeah. depending on where you are. So you have to keep them clean. Same with the lenses. Um, a common problem that photographers would have if they had more than one lens, when they would change the lenses, depending on where they were and how dusty it was, if they would get dust on the back of the lens, that's the part where the lens actually focuses. So if you got a piece of dust on the back of your lens, it would wind up creating a spot in your pictures. And the same thing actually still happens with digital cameras. If you get a piece of dust on the back of the lens, you can wind up with a spot on your photograph. Yes, um, the one I have right now in my hands, I'll make sure there'll be a photo in it. And um, it it wasn't really in the best of climates. It was, I think my, Granddad had this, and um, they lived in one of the most, it, you could say, it would be a deserty climate. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't yep. that easy to make sure it worked. And yeah, sand and dust is really hard on any kind of camera, new cameras yeah. or old cameras. It's it's hard on a camera. Yeah. yeah. However, there is one um, thing on this which I'm still in. I'm, I have no idea what it is. And so I know this would be for the film. It has like this ranch. Right. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And then what's this? Uh, so that little gadget there is how you get the film back into the cartridge. So oh. it's, basically, it's basically a rewind. So okay. when you put the film in the camera, if you've ever seen a roll of film, it's in a little metal yeah. cartridge and there's a piece of film about four to six inches that sticks out. So you drop the film cart when you're holding the camera in front of you, you drop the film cartridge in the left side, pull the film across, and then you take the little end of the film and you slide it into a hook on the right side. So then when you, when you do the lever, 
yeah. it pulls the, you know, you're going to close the camera back, of course, but yeah. when you do the lever, it pulls the film out of the cartridge and the film rolls up on the opposite side. Oh, okay. So if, when you're done, if you just open the camera back, you ruin all your pictures because all the film is just sitting there in the open. So you have to get the film back into the cartridge. Oh, so when you get all the way to the end, there should be a button somewhere on your camera that will release the ratchet drive on the right side. And then um, you're going to lift up the little handle on that dial that you just showed me on the left. Yeah. And you literally just turn it. Okay. And you turn the film back into the cartridge. Right. And you'll know that you're done. In other words, you'll know that you have all the film in the cartridge when there's no tension. It just starts spinning really fast. Okay. And then you can open up the camera and your film will be all the way in the cartridge and you can take the film to be developed at that Interesting. point. So that's really interesting. And interestingly enough, um, there's no, these cameras, the old ones, they have two lenses, you could say. Is that correct? Like one for the person who's looking and one for the camera itself. So the, the right, the camera that you're referring to or that design, yeah, it's called a rangefinder camera. So right, you you are looking through the little window up on the top. The camera takes the picture through the main lens. And indeed, when you look through that little window, it's pretty close to what the camera sees, but okay. it's not exactly what the yeah. camera sees. Because so be it takes a little practice with those cameras to make sure that when you're looking through that, that little window up top, you are getting the framing that you actually want. The newer cameras, indeed, when you look through the camera, you're yeah. actually looking through the same lens that takes the picture. So you see exactly what the camera's gonna see. Um, that style of camera was very popular just among amateurs because it yeah. was less expensive. And it was actually very popular among war photographers. Mm. War photographers would use those style of cameras because they could use the same kind of film and they had many of the same features as the more expensive cameras, which were bigger and heavier. Mm. Those cameras were small enough and light enough that they could carry them in their pockets and they could move fast because if they were in a war zone, they needed to be able to move in a hurry. So they would frequently use those types of cameras and they would learn how to frame them without even looking through the, the little viewfinder. They would learn how to frame it just by holding it so that they could take pictures and, and be able to move quickly. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So um, moving on from these uh, film mm -hmm. cameras in towards the transition from the film to the digital, and then we'll go back into what's your career. Um, okay. Do you remember the moments when the, when they first like talked about the first idea of the digital camera came about? So I don't remember kind of exactly when, when they first developed that technology. If I'm not mistaken, if we were to look it up in the history books, I think they actually first created a digital camera in the 1950s. Now you oh. couldn't buy one. I mean, okay. like, in laboratories, they, they came up with that technology. But um, the first digital cameras that you could buy affordably 
that the average person can get. They were actually made by uh, Sony. They came out in the late 1990s and they were square. So they were like about this big. So actually imagine, imagine two of your camera that you had there, one on top of the other. So they were square and the disc that you put in them was a regular floppy disc, just like you put in a computer. So it was the oh. three and a half inch square floppy disc you would stick in the back. Yeah. And the quality of the pictures was horrible, but they were really cool because you yeah. take a picture and then it was instantly previewing on the back of the screen on the camera. And then you could take the disc out and put it in your computer. And, you know, you had a picture, but I think that I want to say the image size was like 600 pixels tall. It was yeah. really small. Yeah. So they were the first ones that were routinely available. But at the same time, Sony came out with that in the late 1990s. Um, companies like Kodak and Nikon, they had combined to create a professional digital camera that was crazy expensive. It, it was a lot of money. And it was a combination of a Nikon camera and a Kodak digital sensor that you, they kind of took the two things apart and combined them. So there were some photographers that were starting to use them, but it was too big to carry around. So the photographers did use them. They were like in, in studios and things. Oh, okay. And then in 2000, the, the year 2000, uh, it might've been late 1999, but for the most part, 2000, Nikon released the first professional digital camera that is basically the first one of the kind of cameras that we have today. Oh, okay. Uh, it was um, still very low quality compared to what we have now, but it was, it had enough quality to it that professionals could use it and oh, okay. use it effectively. So that, that started the transition and through, through most of like the year 2000 to like 2010, that's when most of the photography industry kind of switched over okay. to digital. And it, it kind of got to the point where you almost had to switch to digital because oh, okay. for quite a while, it was very hard to get film. Mm -hmm. And even in today's world, film is kind of popular again, but it's popular again amongst hobbyists and artists. Very few professionals use it. There are some that do, but very few professionals use it because it's extremely expensive to buy film now. Oh, okay. Because they're not, there's not as many companies that make it. Yeah. There are fewer options for film. It's harder to get film developed. So if you're going to shoot film today, you almost have to develop it yourself, which is time okay. consuming. Yeah. So most professionals aren't willing to, to deal with film. I see. So um moving to a stage where videography is becoming more prominent and mm -hmm. um photography also also grows however i want to know your opinion about this do you think at the current state is video videography larger than photography oh wow um i think that actually, I'm going to take I'm going to take your question one step further. Oh, okay. um, I don't I don't think it's larger, and I think you need to think a little bigger. Okay. So 
I this is something I talk about a lot actually in in the photography world and and there are some people that think I'm crazy for thinking this but I really do believe this. I think we're reaching a point where cameras are going to start to change very dramatically. Mm-hmm. And what I mean is every single camera that you can buy today whether it's a really expensive professional camera whether it's a really inexpensive um amateur camera just for taking pictures or for that matter whether it's your phone yeah every camera that we have shoots video and stills right so and and for the longest time that was not the case so we all have video cameras when you start talking about 4k 8k 16k resolution for video some of those files are actually larger than the files that cameras create for still pictures. So what you see more and more and more of now is people shooting a video clip and then taking a still frame from the video clip. And you can do that today with very, very high quality. Mm. So the challenge to that is generally when you're shooting video clips, you're shooting at fairly slow shutter speeds and in order to make the video clip look natural you actually intentionally shoot at a slow shutter speed and what that means is many of the frames if you take just a single frame many of the frames are actually blurry intentionally because they want the frames to blend together so i feel that given another five or ten years I think that every camera that's made is going to be primarily a video camera. Now I'm not saying still photography will go away. It will never go away. The still picture will never go away. But, but I really do believe the way that we'll make our still pictures is with video cameras. So let's say you want to take a picture, just a, a portrait of a friend. You'll set the person down and what'll happen is when you press the button, instead of it taking one frame, it'll take 20 frames or 30 frames. Kind of like um, with the iPhones. And I think Google has a similar thing. They have like the, the, the live pictures where it shoots yeah. a little tiny clip, right? And even with the Google phones now, you can shoot a series of pictures and it will help you pick the best one out of the series. So that way, like if you're gonna take a picture of a friend or, or a person or a portrait, you shoot this 20 frame or 30 frame selection of pictures and the camera or the software is going to help us find the best one. Yeah. That takes a big step further to making everybody a better photographer and making it easier for everybody to take better pictures. So I still think that, um, I still think that right now today, photography is a bigger category, but Video is used, I think, more aggressively in our world than photography, meaning, you know, we have a lot of people creating video that aren't really necessarily videographers. You have YouTube, you have TikTok. Um, Certainly, it's much easier, even with the phones that we have, to take really nice video. Um, So, yeah, I, I don't know that it's honestly a fair comparison, but I do think down the road, Photography will be a part of videography for sure. 
I see where you're going with this, and I couldn't agree with you uh, less. Um, there's this, um, I, there's lots of gifts around, which are like um, it's, it's like two. It's like the same stop motion idea, but digitalized mm -hmm. and. Um, yep. At one point, it was common to see it on every single website. I think it was like around two thousand seven, eight. So, yep. I th I think that it's it's clear to see, and it's eventually going to be the way that you mentioned. However, I yep. do have um, one question and one mm -hmm. idea that might come in, and it will go into career directly, and that is what the I've talked a lot, I'm very interested about it, and that is XR, Argumented Reality. And Argumented Reality is the idea of having something right in front of you when it, it really isn't there. And yep. when it comes to photos, do you think that this idea of having videography become, and taking that one image that really looks good, and becoming a photo, do you think that will become animated like these rulers or um, right. pencil cases where you tilt in certain lighting and it'll change? Yep, I think absolutely. However, um, so what you're suggesting already exists. Oh. Um, they're, they're, I mean, Microsoft actually has got some amazing XR things that they're working with now. Um, but here's the thing. So without, without getting really nerdy, I'm gonna talk about some brain science, right? Um, I think what you're suggesting, you'll see that, you'll see more of it. It will get to the point where it's affordable. So somebody like you or I could buy it because right now we can't afford it, okay? Yeah. But um, so definitely, I think that you will see so much more of that. A lot of that kind of technology, especially where we are right now, it exists because it's cool. Yeah. That's all. Meaning we can do it. So people are experimenting. I don't think we really have seen yet where that technology will benefit us. In other words, it's cool. And I can imagine lots of things, but I don't know that we're far enough down the road to see where it's going to kind of settle in and become a norm. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. The still picture, I sincerely believe it will never go away. Like I said already, I think we'll change the way we record them. But the reason why is this. If you go to, um, you can go to Google and you can type in a phrase like iconic photographs. You'll see images some of which are very, very old, some of which were taken back in the days where they had the big wooden cameras that they had to lug around and set up. But oftentimes these images are pictures of events where there were hundreds, if not thousands of people witnessing it. But yet those people did not see the actual moment. Our brains are not capable of freezing a moment. So our brains kind of get the whole picture. And at the same time, they're getting that whole picture. They're also getting all the things around it. Our brains collect so much information that we often miss 
the little details. So that still image freezes everything in time, locks it in place, and it allows us to see details. It allows us to see information that we're not humanly capable of recording and, and storing when we watch it you know, in real time. Um, so I definitely think video takes over as the way that we record our world. Absolutely. It completely makes sense. But I think that the still image is something that's never, it's never going to lose its value. Yeah. Simply because of our own shortcomings as human beings, we, we are always going to find use for having that moment frozen in time so that we can actually study it closely and, and appreciate it and, and look at it. I mean, it's no different than, you know, there's a rover on the surface of Mars right now. Yeah. They watch video of that thing traveling around. They can see everything, but then they go back frame by frame to look at every little detail of the surface of Mars to make sure that they're not missing something because they know that watching it in real time, their brains are going to miss so much information. Yeah. Right. So, so the still picture never will completely go away, but all these new things, uh, look up, look up the, uh, the XR tools that Microsoft is working on. I'm trying, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Let me see if I can, I just had a con brief conversation recently with someone and uh, it's really cool stuff if you're into that. Um, let me see here. I don't know if. Is it OpenXR or something? It might be the OpenXR. Micro, oh, Microsoft Mesh. Microsoft so when you have Mesh. a chance Google that and check it out, it's really cool tech. And, and it's, it uses some of the stuff that we've already seen and some of the stuff we're already familiar with but oh, I saw your reaction, right? See, they're taking it to a whole new level. So, yeah. so again, right now, it's cool. I think Microsoft has, you know, if you look through that website, they're proposing some really cool uses for it. So this is, I think, it's kind of the first step where we're seeing, you know, a lot of this, you know, augmented reality and virtual reality and AI kind of being put to an actual task. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're going to see so much more, but I don't think we're at the point where we know how it's really going to truly be put to use. Yeah. I think right now everybody is just throwing ideas at it and experimenting. And that's, that's what's cool about technology. So. I think um, COVID-19 was one of the most influential and is going to be one of the most influential um periods event of human history because not only does it change the way that the industrial age the um, digitalization and all those stuff in all topics so it could be from how people would get to work and the mm -hmm. lifestyle to photography and xr and i agree um, it's going to be interesting to see because it's before you wouldn't see, there wouldn't be a lot of things online there wouldn't be a lot of things to do and um i think with uh, lots of lockdowns people had a different set periods it gave birth to a new wave of inspiration 
And sure. um, do you agree on that note or? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I think that, you know, uh, one of the phrases that gets used a lot here in the United States is that when it's over, things will go back to normal, but it will be a new normal. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I do agree with you. I think the last 12 months has taken the concept of evolution because the world is always evolving. People are evolving. Technology is evolving. It's, it's taken evolution and it's forced it to move forward much faster than it normally, normally would. And what I think is kind of exciting about that evolution is that it's not evolution for the sake of what can we do or what can we imagine? That kind of evolution is good, but this was evolution built out of need, right? This, this was part survival. This was part how to keep people connected. This was how do we keep you know, students learning in school? How do we keep companies functioning? So all this evolution was, was based on need. And I think that's part of what allowed it to happen really, really fast. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, that will be one of the silver linings of the pandemic that we, you know, we have all experienced. Uh, there's been tremendous loss. It's been inconvenient and let's face yeah. it, just plain boring being stuck at home. Yeah. But I think, yeah, one of the big silver linings will be the fact that as much as we have a lot of problems in this world, we also have a lot of really incredibly creative and brilliant people in this world. Yeah. And I think we're gonna see a lot of really cool things, you know, come from it, so, yeah, for sure. Hey, I so, hate to stop it uh, right there, but it's the end of the episode. So if you enjoyed what you listened so far, check out more, more episodes below on whatever uh, podcast platform you're listening to. And if you wanna stay up to date with everything related to a THRP podcast, check out our Instagram and regularly check out our website. We put everything and keep on regularly up updating it to make sure it covers all aspects of the podcast. So there'll be a second part um, incoming in a few days from the uploaded date. So make sure you check that out too.